um, for a few moments today, I want to minister on this topic, and that is better together, better together. So I believe that, that God has given us a dream, and he has given us a vision, and it's continuing to be birthed and molded, and God brings clarity to that in every season. But here's what I do know is, is it won't be accomplished alone. There's no way. The mission that he has given us, the dream that he has placed in our hearts, there's no way that we can do that alone. So we are better together. And by the way, who wants to do life alone anyway? You ever gone through a season where you tried that? <laughs> you know, you're like, I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm going to be alone. You come back, you're like, you know what, that was a bad, it was like 10 minutes later. You're like, you know, that was not a good call on my, and if you are trying to do life alone, well, then I'm just telling you, God is calling you back in right now. He is going to begin to speak to people today. So if you're ready to receive the word, why don't you just pray with me right now? Jesus, we love you, and we believe that we are better together because that is how you have designed us, God. So I pray in the name of Jesus that there would be a moving of your spirit, God, that, Lord, we would hear the word, but not only would we hear the word, but we would become doers of the word today, God. I pray for the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to just touch people's hearts, God. And, Lord, today, anoint me, God, as I preach and try to deliver your word as you have given it to me. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. And could you just say a hearty amen? Amen, amen. You can be seated for a moment or two. Hey, listen to that. I hear the rain, somebody. Is that rain? Nice. I don't know why I want to break into an old song. I feel the rain. I feel the rain. I feel it falling down on me. All right, I'm done. That's enough. That's enough of that. You're like, I'm going to do life alone if you keep singing. Better together. Life is hard, but it's especially hard if you're trying to do it alone. Life is difficult, but it is significantly more difficult if you're doing it without other people. You want to know why? Because you and I were not designed to do life alone. You would think that it would be enough for Adam, God's man, his firstborn creation, to have God himself. Because what we read in the book of Genesis is that there was communion between God and Adam. They walked in the cool of day together. And yet God still said this of Adam. It is not good for man to be alone. And so he made Eve. You see, it shows that there is a Twofold design to you and I. We're supposed to be connected to God and somebody put your hand on your neighbor's arm. All right. <laughs> seriously? Yes, seriously. Come on. And we're supposed to be connected to one another. We were not designed to do life alone. We are, somebody say it, better together. We're better together and God created us that way. And thankfully, God gave us a promise in Matthew 28 and 20, where he said, I will be with you. This is the words of Christ. I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. In another place, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will always give you the promise of my spirit. No matter where you're at, 
you will not be alone. I think about what the psalmist David said when he said, whether I'm in heaven or I make my bed in hell, your presence is always with me. This was a man who lived in the Old Testament covenant under the law, who had never been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, who had only seen the Spirit of God dwelling in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, in the temple. He didn't even understand the weight of his words like you and I do. Because if you've ever been filled with the Spirit of God, you know what he said is true is you may have your worst day ever but the spirit of God never leaves you he is always with us that's his promise is that he will always be with us notice though that the promise is not I will always make you happy even unto the end of the world I will always make you to have good days even until the end of of the world. I don't know about you, but I've had some bad days. I'm just kidding. I definitely know about you. You've had some bad days. Some of you, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean, but it looks like it might be, might be today. <laughs> just kidding. You look beautiful. You sound great. All that good stuff. Maybe it was the singing. That was probably it. It put some people in a bad mood. Well, there's more where that came from. No, the promise is not that I will always make you happy. I will always give you the best days. No, the promise is even when you're unhappy, even when you're frustrated, even when you're in a season of loss and you feel low, I will be with you even until the end of the world. You see, we live in a nation that as great as the documents that founded this nation are and as powerful as the Constitution is, and we see this Declaration of Independence that was penned by men like Thomas Jefferson, who I certainly would not try to uh, put myself in the likes of them. But I would say this, if I could make one edit to those founding documents, it's that little line that says, the pursuit of happiness. Because what we have found is that happiness can be very elusive. If I could have a suggestion given in that little suggestion box to our forefathers, it would possibly read or say something like, could we change happiness to meaning? The pursuit of meaning or meaningfulness. Because happiness is elusive. In fact, what we have found in the last decade or so in research and maybe you've seen this. It's called the happiness suicide paradox. Anybody ever heard of this? It caused researchers to be uh, very curious whenever we have found in the last decade, and, and obviously further back than that, that so many people who should be happy, they have money, they have fame, they have all the affirmation that the world can give them. Seemingly so, they look like they have plenty of people who love them and are friends with them, continue to take their own lives. And the happiness suicide paradox is basically that the people that feel like they should be happy but aren't happy find it more difficult to live because of that. Because they have found enough in life that because they are not happy, they wonder if they will ever find meaning itself. Because if money didn't bring me meaning, what will? If fame didn't bring me meaning, then what will? And what was supposed to make me happy, the pursuit of happiness, left me empty on 
the inside. It's paradoxical in its nature. But you see, what you've got to understand is that research also shows us that there is a step further than just being connected to people around us. The step further that is a great protective factor when it comes to things like suicidality and actually finding meaning is that you are not only connected to others, but watch this. You are connected to others doing something of value. I thought everybody would go, oh. You guys are like, it's the rain, isn't it? It's like a, it's like a built-in sound machine. I'll blame the rain and not the sermon. <laughs> you can't just be connected to others. You have to be connected to others doing something that matters. See, it's not enough to just have community. you got to have a community of people in your lives who are pursuing something of a higher value and a higher order. In fact, the thing that they are pursuing may actually cause, paradoxically, a lot of discomfort but happiness along the way. Because what you will find in life is it is often the things that we find meaning in that are also the most difficult. Somebody say, kids. Amen, <laughs> Amen to that. I love my kids, y'all. I'm telling you, I don't want to trade them in most days. But it is a difficult thing being a parent. I love my marriage. I don't want to trade it in ever. <laughs> Passed that test, didn't I, right there? Ever. I don't want to trade it in. But it's not easy having a healthy marriage. It's difficult. It takes time. It takes somebody who gives investment. But the reason you love it is because it's meaningful. It's something important to you. And the things that we find meaningful in life are often the most difficult. Add others to the mix while pursuing something that is intrinsically difficult and meaningful and things can get messy. But here's what Jesus understood. He was under no false illusions. He understood it more deeply than we ever could understand it. That the mission of God was not going to take one super apostle or one great preacher or one powerful church. It was going to take multiple people, multiple members from all types of backgrounds willing to come together, put their differences aside, connect in a meaningful way, and pursue the mission which was at hand. That's why I love Matthew 9, 35 through 38. It says this, or starting in verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, somebody say the multitudes. the multitudes. All those people from different backgrounds, from different areas and walks of life. He was moved with compassion because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And this is what he said to his disciples. The harvest is truly plenteous. There is a mission that is at hand. There are people that need us to reach. There are broken and lost ones. There are sheep without a shepherd. And there 
everywhere. It's plenteous. Don't say that there is no harvest. Don't say that nobody wants this. Don't say that there's not a mission within arm's length of us. I'm telling you that there are plenty of people who are candidates for the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That has never been in question, and it certainly is not in question in the 21st century. The mission has never been more pertinent than it is today. But I'll tell you the conundrum that they were in is in the second half of the verse. And it's the same conundrum that we are in still today. But the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, he would send forth laborers into his harvest. That he would take people who were on mission, that were connected to God and connected to one another, and that they would begin to make an impact in the greatest and most important way that anybody could ever make an impact, and that is on the eternal soul of men. Can I just tell you for a moment, let me take a side road and then I'll get back to my sermon. But there is nothing more valuable on the face of the planet than the eternal soul of one human being. You can't put a price tag on it. You can't even begin to fathom it. It can't even be quantified with our human minds. Why? Because it exists beyond the confines of the time and the space that we are currently in. You see, the eternal soul of one individual will live on forever and ever and ever and that eternal soul will either 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 spend that time in eternity in a heaven or in a hell it is a very real thing I realize that it's hard to wrap our minds around but can I just pause for a moment and tell you what we are doing here today it actually matters What you do, Stello Church, Stello member, you matter. The way that you parent your kids, the way that you love your spouse, all the things that you do, the way that you reach out for your coworkers, don't minimize your significance or your mission. You matter in this place. Why? Because there is a harvest. And if you're a laborer that's willing to jump in and do what God has called you to do, I'm just telling you, you ought to lift your head up and say, God, I may not have a ton of money in the bank account. I may be in a weird stage of life, but I'm telling you this, I'm going to be on mission Monday through Saturday, and that's what, and Sunday, by the way, and that's what gives me significance in my life. There's no greater investment that anybody could ever make than this. That's why we met last Sunday night. It's because we were, we, listen, we had a good time. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I I love y'all. Majority of people in here, I would just, I, I just, I'd be great with just spending a day off with you. You know what I'm saying? We'll just shoot the breeze. We'll hang out. We'll play golf. We'll do all. And that's good. And that's well. That's fine. I'm glad that we do that. In fact, we could have just rented a coffee shop last Sunday night and we could have just hung out. Could have talked about the flavors and the notes and the coffee. And that's really good. I really like that. We could have pretended like we knew what we were talking about. But that's not why we were there ultimately. Although we could have been. Why were we there? Because the laborers gathered together and we wanted to know, how can we get elbow deep in the mission that God has called us to? And you know what happened in that place where the laborers gathered together and we begin to brainstorm and we begin to talk? There were ideas that begin to to come out of people that were powerful, that were significant, that were needed. There were next steps that were formed. I got so excited as I was standing in there because there were people that I wasn't even expecting to speak up. That when you started talking about the mission, all the 
a sudden it was like their personality changed. The one that wouldn't really be willing to talk said, hey, I've got something to say. You know what's amazing is God will take members, God will take people that we, we don't even realize they have giftings or they have talents or they have thoughts around things. And if you put them in the right environment and you start talking about the right thing, all of a sudden that gifting and that anointing that's been a little bit under the cover, it begins to manifest itself and it gets exciting. So I'm just telling you, I was encouraged by last Sunday night. And by the way, if you were not there, this is not a shot at you. I realized that not everybody could be there, but I'm just telling you, Stello Church, we are connected and we are on mission right now for what God is going to do. 2 Timothy 2 and 6 says this, the hardworking farmer or laborer, you could say, should be the first to receive his share. I love this scripture because this is, this is basically what it says, is that those that are willing to put in the work are the ones that are going to get the results. If you're willing to get in the labor, in the field, do the work, then you're going to be the first one to receive your share. I get excited because that's what last week was all about. Now, I, let me just tell you, I, I, I believe in dreaming. I've been talking about ideas and dreams, and we're like, yeah, strike the arrows on the ground. Let's talk about dreams. But you know what dreams really equal? Dreams equal work. I got an idea. Has anybody ever been maybe a leader of a team, or you've got a kid that's a dreamer, or whatever it is, and when they say, I've got an idea, your first answer to them is, how much is it going to cost? How much are we going to have to work to do this? Because it's one thing to be a dreamer, but it's another thing to be a doer. And I love dreamers. And Stello, I'll say it. Don't stop dreaming about the plan of God for your life. But also, equally important, don't stop doing what God has called you to do. Because I don't want the dream to just stay in the ethereal. I don't want the dream to just stay in the distance. I want to turn our dreams into something that has been accomplished and something that has been done. So when we got together last Sunday night, that was just the first step. But what I would say to you is to every laborer, it's time to start rolling up our sleeves and say, hey, we're better together. We weren't just created to be in connection in community and to enjoy ourselves one with another in life groups. No, we're together for a purpose and for a reason and for a mission. And that mission is to reach lost people. Amen. Dreams equal work. I don't want to just be a dreamer. I want to be a doer. I want to do what God has called me to do. That, that scripture right there in 2 Timothy, if you'll throw it back up there, that word hardworking farmer, it actually talks about, uh, in, in the Greek, it is a present tense work. It's not work that he has done, and it's not work that he will do. The hardworking farmer is a present tense worker. You know, my grand, or Whitley's grandfather, uh, he, he has that joke. You've heard it. Everybody's grandpa has this joke. He's like, man, you need to get some rest. I'll sleep when I die. That's a, by the way, that's horrible advice. You need to get some good rest, okay? Y'all know I believe in that. But there are some things, spiritually speaking, that we can rest on the other side, as far as we are concerned, the mission is always happening. You know what's amazing about Jesus is Jesus understood this in the most profound way. You know why he came, right? To seek and to save that which was lost. It cracks me up because when you look at the depiction of Jesus in scripture, it is one that is always calm when everybody else is freaking out. And he's freaking out when everybody else is calm. 
That's Jesus. Let me give you a couple of examples. Everybody's very happy with their religious system. They're good to sell sacrifices. And Jesus comes in. He's got a whip in his hand. He starts overturning the money tables. He's like, everybody's way too calm about this mediocre religious system that you all have created where people can buy sacrifices and you can essentially put the people out that you want out and bring the people in that you want in. So you may be calm about it, but I'm freaking out. So there's one example. But let me give you another example of the opposite way. That Jesus was calm when everybody else was freaking out. The opposite way is that day in the temple. And that is his disciples are on a boat. And there's a storm a-brewing. And that storm is getting bad enough that they're up there and they're trying to figure out what are we going to do. And somebody says, where is Jesus? You know, the one with all power in his hand. The one who can make fishes and loaves multiply. It'd probably be good to get Jesus out here. So they're just freaking out, and somebody says, he's asleep, and we're all freaking out. And somebody says, go wake him up. And so they wake Jesus up, and Jesus calmly comes up, and he begins to conversate with them. You know what happens in that moment, is he says, peace, be still. And the storm begins to calm, and he brings it calm, and he challenges their faith. Do you think I was going to let you die? All of you are my most intimate and close disciples, and you've seen me do miracles over and again, and you thought this was going to be the end? I'm just trying to take a nap. Can I just tell, this is what I believe, and I'll just pose this to you. Why is it that Jesus could sleep on a boat when there was a storm, when it would have freaked anybody else out? Because if you read the rest of the story, as soon as Jesus, as soon as that boat hit the other side of that lake, that sea, you could call it. And his feet hit the ground. He began to deal with demoniacs and people that needed deliverance. Because Jesus was on mission, pay attention everybody, as soon as his feet hit the ground. The reason he could sleep in the storm is because that's not what kept him up. The storms of life never kept Jesus awake. The storms of life were not what he freaked out over. The thing that caused Jesus to be unsettled was lost souls. He said, let me sleep in the storms of life because I know those are going to be okay. The place that I can't be calm and I can't can't make myself go to sleep is when I'm on mission. In fact, the Bible says that the multitudes would come to him in such great droves and such great numbers that he would have to slip away just to find rest because he was always on mission. Isn't it amazing that we are calm in the places where God is saying, hey, you need to wake up because right now is not the time to be calm. Right now is the time that you need to open up your eyes and realize that you're in the middle of the harvest. I know you're freaking out about your finances. I know you're wondering if I'm going to take care of your family. Don't worry about all that. What you need to be worried about is the eternal, not the temporary. The temporary will take care of itself. Give no thought for tomorrow. Don't have anxiety. If I can see the sparrow when it falls, if I clothe that lily more beautifully than I clothe Solomon, that great king in the Old Testament, I've got you covered. What I need you to do, man, I feel the spirit of God. I need you to be on mission 24-7 looking for the broken, looking for those that are in need and saying, hey, I've got something. I've got purpose. I've got meaning. I'm pursuing something greater than myself. You can't do that by yourself. There's nobody in this room that can fulfill the mission of God on their own. It's not possible because the mission of God includes others. It includes others. Look at what happened there Sunday night. 
How many enjoyed Pastor Mark Condon from Infinite Church? Wasn't that great? I enjoyed that. We want to have him back here. Pastor Mark shared a story with us. He said, I think it was about an eight to nine week period. They had over 300 guests come through the doors of Infinite Church. Why don't we give God praise for that right there? I believe that we can have something similar. Here's, here's what Pastor Mark told us that night. He said, he said that during, I think it was during COVID, they all got COVID in his house, he said. All got it at the same time, and you know they, they were just down for the count. And I think he started watching a, a, a docu-series, and I think it was, it was either Deadliest Catch or Wicked Tuna or another one of the 47 variations of the same show. And he started watching this show, and he said, you know what? He said, as I'm watching this show, and you know this man's full of the Holy Ghost, if he can get inspiration from God to have 300 guests walk through eight weeks from watching Netflix. Somebody pray for that anointing. <laughs> and he said, he said, what I noticed is he said, he said they would bring in these, these fish, and he said when they would actually catch fish, everybody on the boat was excited. He said, everybody on the boat was pumped up. They were excited. They, they, they were saying, man, this is awesome. And he said, yeah, there was, there was drama, but it was all drama about the fish, right? Everything was focused on the, on the haul, the, the thing that they're bringing in. He said, but go look at the boats that aren't catching fish, that aren't fulfilling their God-given mission. He said, what's happening to them is their drama. They're frustrated with each other. They're tired. Things are breaking on the boat. He said, and I thought about the church, and he said, what we did is he said, we broke our church, I think it was into six or seven boats, and he said, we have a private Facebook page, and he said, every boat was a group of people in our church that each week we would come together, and we would, we would count the number, how many people did we witness to that came to church, and he said, we would, every week, we would actually count the number of how many guests those boats brought in, and we would celebrate each other. That's a pretty powerful concept. There's more details to it that I won't go into. But just the fact that people were better together, they got in one mind, one accord, got inspired to begin to reach out, and over 300 guests in an eight-week period came through the church doors, and he said out of those, about 10% or more ended up actually staying with the church and becoming members, which was about a 30-person increase to their church. Now, can you imagine if that same type of thing happened right here at Stello Church? Can I answer my own question? Yes, I can. I can absolutely imagine it because I'm looking at people who have the power and the potential to do what God has called them to do. When I see you, when I see the members of this church, I, I see people that God has gifted, that he has poured anointing on, and I say to you and I, why not us? Why not Stello Church? Why not our boats? It's the will of God, isn't it? When Jesus initially called Simon Peter, it was there in the book of Luke chapter 5. He looked and he said, Peter, from the shore, don't you, you ever been fishing? Yeah? You ever have somebody, like your spot here, and they're like, what's up, man? You're like, dude, could you not fish somewhere else? You got a whole lake and you're up in my face. That's annoying. Jesus is kind of doing that to Simon Peter. From the shore, the Bible says that Peter has toiled all night fishing. And Jesus says, 
You catching anything? And the answer was a big fat no. He was catching nothing. And then this is what Jesus says. He says, cast your nets to the other side. And I can just imagine the chill that goes down the back of the neck of Simon Peter. And this is what he says. Let's just read it. His words. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Then he's like, okay, hold on, hold on. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, look what happened. Their nets were so full of fish that they begin to tear or begin to rip. A shout, watch this, a shout for help brought their partners in other boats. And soon all the boats were filling with fish on the verge of sinking. You see, Jesus has this, and, and you know the rest of this story, because he says to Peter, he says, you're not going to be the one who catches literal fish anymore, but I'm about to make you a fisher of men. And what you have seen tonight is a depiction of the revival that I have. For, and, and listen, this was early on in this apostle's ministry. He could have had no idea that he would have had firsthand account, not just in Jews being reconciled to God, but this revival was for the Gentiles as well. And it would not just take the apostle Peter or the other 11, but there would be a man named Paul who would end up being a huge part of the New Testament revival. And there would be churches. Peter could not see that like you and I have this retrospective view to see. He could not understand it. But look at the, this, the prophetic power that is in this. That the vision that Jesus had for the mission that Peter would fulfill was so big and so great that Peter could not do it on his own. But there were going to have to be partners in ministry and others that would come and that would help pull in the hall and the mess of fish. It is the exact same for Stello Church. You listen Listen to me right now. I'm telling you that the harvest is so plenteous and is so great that the mission is so tangible and so reachable and so real that it will not only transform our church as we know it, but it will cause us to have to plant more churches and to send out more ministers. I'm just telling you that right here in the triangle area, there is revival like we have not yet seen. What we need to pray is God expand our vision and put us on mission like we have never been on mission before. Let it be, God, that we link up with somebody next to us and that we begin to find purpose in the mission. Fulfillment, God, in the vision of your word. Yeah. Listen to me right now. We do need each other. We need to be connected to each other. We need to continue to do life together. I had so much fun yesterday in the couple's life group. I'm just going to tell you. We ran around like we were crazy. We, if, you, if you weren't there, I'll just tell you, you missed it. We had a good time. We were taking pictures. We, we, were, we were causing havoc in downtown Raleigh. It was fun. And then we ate good. Come on, somebody. It was yummy. It was a win-win. We got to have that. We got to be connected to each other. But what is it that truly connects us? It's this. This is why 
God called us together, not because we're the same color, not because we're all in the same socioeconomic status, not because we all come from the same backgrounds. That is not what unites us. That may be what conventionally unites the world around us and cultures around us, but what unites Stello Church is this unwavering belief in the mission and the fulfillment of that mission. We actually believe that, God, if you can use anything, you can use me. If you can use anything, you can take the broken vessel, which is my life, and you can pour anointing into it. And that anointing would be so great and so powerful that it might actually leak out onto somebody else's life so that they could be changed. And the same way that you delivered me, and the same way that you put my marriage back together, and the same way that you healed my family, and the same way that you got me out of the addiction and the trenches of sin is the same thing that you can do for somebody else. So I've got to be on mission. That's what really unites us. That's what drives us forward, Stello, is that we have a mission together. And it's going to be something that we have to call on other boats. We have to call on other people. Hear me. As I tell you this, this afternoon, and that is, there's entrepreneurs in this place that you think differently, you think business-minded, you think differently than some of those that are in this room that maybe, maybe their background is not business ownership, but maybe their background is they were raised in a completely different neighborhood on a, on a different type of mentality. And they understand, and not that these things are always mutually exclusive because they certainly can cross over, but listen. There's people that have lived such different lives that they bring completely different visions and mentalities to the table. How how do we work together? We work together beautifully. We work together the exact same way that we're supposed to work together. Because the Bible says that we are many members. And Paul would use the analogy of a body over and again. And he would say that the issue within the body is oftentimes that we begin to breed competition. And functionality ends up throwing us off. Because the foot begins to want to function as a hand or vice versa. It ends up being that when you see somebody else, you think, well, if I can't do that, I'm not usable. Or if I don't have that same talent, then how can I be used at Stello Church? I remember growing up, and I feel like this mentality has shifted and changed somewhat. But there were so many people that would sit on the pew of a church, and because they weren't gifted in music, well, I can't sing. Well, I can't do this. Well, goodness gracious, have we not outgrown that mentality? Because the people that are making impact, and I'm thankful for the musicians and the singers, but the majority of our musicians up here, Their primary ministry is not just the music itself. It's either the way that they're using the music or something completely different. They're creative. They're they're outreach giants. They're disciple makers in a completely different avenue. That's a powerful thing. Some of the greatest impact that you will see in a church are from people that never have a microphone in their hand or over their ear. Some of the greatest impact, and I just, man, I feel this in the presence of God today, is that's going to be a depiction of what is to come, is that we're going to begin to see revival 
not birthed from what you would call a ministry team. And that's great. We want that. We have that. We have ministry teams. But listen to me. Everybody in here is a laborer. In fact, could I say it like this, maybe in a way that's a little bit more inspiring. Every member is a minister. Every member is a minister. Come on, would you say that with me right now? Every member is a minister. Come on, would you say it again? Every member is a minister. Membership. You have something that God is calling you to function in and to work in. And you may see it differently than I see it. I say thank God for that. Last week we talked about dreamers. And as I ended that sermon, I talked about the attitude of Mary. But you know what? I was doing some more study this week. And I'd never thought about this, but I want you to hear me. Zechariah, he dreamed, and you remember the story, his son was John the Baptist who would facilitate as the forerunner for Jesus. He dreamed about it. Joseph dreamed. An angel brought a vision to him, and he would be the one that would take in Mary rather than putting her away and be that protector and that one who would love her while all society thought the worst of her. And of course, Mary dreamed. And she would be the one who would nurture and love and keep the Savior, Jesus. And, of course, bring him into the world, literally. All of them, three different dreamers and three very different dreams. But all the same dream. But it was different. Yeah. But it was the same. What what do you mean? Because it was still completely and totally about Jesus. But according to their function and their role and their responsibility in the dream, the vision would change slightly. Now listen to me. That's how it is for all of us here. Is that you have been given a dream. The ultimate call of that dream is to see Jesus Christ brought to the world. Amen, somebody? That's the Great Commission. But you might see it a little bit differently if your primary gifting is music or if your primary gifting is creative. If you work on kids' team, you've dreamed that people would see Jesus. But if your primary gifting or what you're functioning in as a member, your role, it might change slightly the way that you see it being facilitated because of your vantage point and what God has called you into. And there's people in here that maybe it is that you have been called to reach out to the Matthew 25 style of ministry. There's folks that they, they need, they're, they're low in socioeconomic status and, and their lives are broken and substance use has caused them to lose out and maybe they don't have homes and there's things that they're dealing with and God has given you a vantage point That's different than that entrepreneur that's trying to call in those that are satisfied with their life. You see it differently, but you want the same thing. My question is, do we belong together? Can these things coincide and coexist? Yes, they can. Because we are all members. We've all been called to function and to work together. But have you ever seen somebody who's 
My, my, my little girl's this right now. She's just learning to walk. And she's got way more confidence than she does coordination. She just comes rolling in. And we're like, oh. I was with Gary and Jess yesterday. And they, it's, you know, it's just long enough, I think, since y'all had your smallest one. Because Gary and Jess were like, dear God, get her. Me and Whitley were like, she'll be fine. We'll put a helmet on her. Thank you for helping us. We've probably become too desensitized. Sully's over there on the edge of a, of a cliff just about to dive. And we're like, we'll catch her. I think we can get her. She's got way more confidence than she does coordination because she's young. And she's trying to figure out how to get these members to function together. How do we get all this to work together? You know what I'm talking about? Because it doesn't just happen right after you birth something. I think about that draft. Anybody ever seen that draft trying to get things together? take some time to get the members coordinated so that the effort, although the members are functioning differently, the effort is in perfect coordination the way that it's supposed to be. Stello Church, when I see us right now, I know that we're better together, but because we're young and we're new and we're trying to figure some things out, sometimes it's kind of like this. I'm like, we're, don't, just give us some time. We're going to figure it out. We're going to find our balance. We're going to find where people fit. And you hear me right now. There's some of you that maybe you're challenged because you're trying to figure out what the functionality of your ministry or your calling looks like within the local church context. That's okay. You can't just expect for there to be an immediate function. Don't get discouraged because you're in the process of finding balance and fulfillment in your own functionality. God has something for you. And don't you dare fall into the comparison trap. But what you need to realize is that God is calling us together. And Zachariah, you have a part of this story. Joseph, you have a function in this story. Mary, you have a function in this story. And we're all dreaming, and we all want the same thing. But when you describe your dream to me, and I describe my dream to you, same, the details are a little bit different. That's okay. The outcome is the exact same thing. What's the outcome? People are going to be introduced to Jesus. People are going to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Hey, we're going to figure it out, Stello. We're figuring out how to function. We're figuring out how to make an impact. We're figuring out how to make a difference in our city. I know we're only four years, not even four years old yet, just, or five years old yet. Just give us some time. It's still happening. God's still causing us to function. And if you're new here, you listen to me. You're as much a member of this church as any of us that have been here since day one. We need you. We want you. We're calling every boat to come together. Why? Because we can't bring it in by ourselves. We know that. We are better together.